And I mean that exactly the way it sounds. Ladies and gentlemen. So we've already started out less than five seconds. Somebody's offended if they were listening. And they do. They listen. This is Chad Adams sitting in for Pete Callender. Glad to be here on WBT, the uh, Pete Callender Show. And it's absolutely a pleasure. Always phone lines are open. 704-570-1110 here on News Talk 1110-993. And uh, we'll be here today, tomorrow. And then Pete will return on Monday. But it's absolutely a pleasure and honor always. And I tell you what, since last I was here, since last I was here, which was in December, you know, I'm watching the world, an observer of the, the minuscule operations of mankind on the planet Earth. And a lot has happened. A lot has happened, especially if you're a news junkie. A lot has happened. But not a lot has changed. You know, that's the, the funny thing. I'm, I'm thinking to myself before I go on the air, I'm like, a lot has happened, but not a lot has changed. Not a lot has changed from a leadership standpoint, ideologically what's going on. The same people screaming the same things as they were before, screaming them now. The outrage from the the uh, the, pol- the political left continues in isolation and silos. The, the people who hate guns, the people who want to keep immigration going, the pro-abortion people, every little, and environmentalists, which by the way, environmentalists are just conservationists without guns, that, that they just... And, and it's amazing the kind of blinders they put on to operate in their collective silos. And I don't say that with any kind of schadenfreude. I say that because you see it, you know, when, when the situation in Ohio happened, and it's horrible. I, I'm frankly shocked that it's not bigger news, you know, than it is. It, it, and, and Pete Buttigieg is so worried about racism and who builds roads. You know, it, and I'm not making that up he said things along those lines you know when he sees the people that are working these jobs and there's not enough of one race or another it's this constant it's this constant move to divide us in as many different it's like watching the history of the christian church condensed into about five years so think about all the different denominations of faith you can imagine just on christendom alone forget all the other faiths christendom all the different faiths, from Baptist, Episcopalian, Church of England, all of them, Catholic, you know, Seventh-day Adventist, whatever. There's a thousand. There's actually variations of Baptist. You know, you got the free will and Southern. Anyway, the point being, that's what the Democrats have done to the nation over the past 50 years. Divided us, subdivided us. You know, you carry the one, you add five, then you divide again, and then you keep going until you get to the point that even the environmental movement is fragmented into 100 different versions of that. I mean, Greta leads just one part of it. But it's amazing how quiet they've been with this horrendous train derailment in Ohio. I was just looking. This is the weirdest thing. I was looking before we, earlier today, so before we went on air. It sounds like everything happened before I went on air, but it did because all of my life did. So I'm looking at Noah's particulate maps. That sounds very science-y. Fauci would appreciate it. At least he thinks he would. Anyway, very science-y. NOAA, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, I'm looking at their maps. They have a particulate matters in the atmosphere map. And you look at the northeast. Look at from Ohio, like the northeastern part of Ohio, over toward the Great Lakes, extending into upstate New York. And it's this, it looks like a shot, If you, it's a shotgun blast. It's just, it's really, really dark where the train wreck happened and all that stuff went into the atmosphere. And then it fans out over the northeast. And these are horrific chemicals. And it took days for the administration to kind of say, yeah, something's going on here. You know, as Jean-Pierre, whatever, said, Biden's the best spokesperson in the White House, which is a sad truth if that's true. Not really, the the president hasn't really said a lot. No one's really said a lot. The news is kind of covering it, but not covering it. 
dead animals, dead fish, concerned citizens, and this stuff is just spread. It's like a volcanic eruption of chemical particulates across the Northeast. And, and imagine if that happened, if there was someone else in that White House. This would lead, this, this defines if it bleeds, it leads kind of thing. It would be all over the place. Environmentalists would be screaming, they'd be picketing, they'd be marching on the White House, there'd be organizational structures set up far and wide. But no, Mayor Pete doesn't seem to be overly concerned. I mean, it's a bad, we're watching it, we're monitoring it. But it's, it's a bad situation. That map, you can see it on my Twitter feed if you want to. Joe Pistardi uh, uh, had sent it to me, great climatologist, actually a scientist, a weather scientist that keeps track of these kind of things. He's watching this, and, and just he's kind of amazed too. So many people are amazed that this isn't, this is pretty bad, but it's not widely watched. So uh, just something to keep an eye on. If anything, and I don't anticipate anything happening on that front, but the map is absolutely horrendous. And part of the discussion today, because we're getting into the budgetary. And by the way, if you've got a speeding ticket in Charlotte, woohoo! lucky day for you, right? Bad day for lawyers. Good day for you. Because apparently they can't give you a ticket right now. Now, the Highway Patrol can. <laughs> so beware. But City of Charlotte is not a speed trap right now. Uh, I saw that. I was listening to the news break there. And it's like, well, they were using people to calibrate the radars that weren't really qualified to do it. So we can't, we can't even tell you if those tickets are worth the ink it took to print them on environmentally non-friendly paperless office, whatever. They're not worth it. <laughs> so, And a lot of speeding tickets, if you got one, welcome to 2023 because you, you just hit the lottery on that one. It looks like you're going to get out of it. <laughs> Charges dropped. Have a nice day. So that's going on. Uh, we're not going to spend a lot, but I do kind of thematically today We'll go through, because we're entering into the budget season, the budget season, the House, the legislature dealing with the budget. Governor Cooper's always lording over saying, I might, I might veto this budget. And then we've got at the national level, we have, a, we have a train wreck of a federal budget that has largely been created by both parties. Excuse me. It has been exclusively created by both parties who have been in charge since the creation of our archaic, in need of, of, of blowing up tax code. That is an ode to complexity, the likes of which we don't need. I mean, you and I would sooner figure out the gravitational constant of the universe on the back of the envelope or doing it in Sanskrit than we are to understand our tax code. It's, we're oblivious to I mean, the, the depth of it. I'm amazed. I have to do taxes for, <laughs> oh, I got to do a lot of taxes. And, and the funniest part, the, the, this, the sad, ironic, funny part, is my mother died approximately a year ago. Unexpectedly. They died the same day as my father the year before, February 19th, coming up shortly. But here's the funny thing. So as I'm settling all of this and going through it with the, with the, the joy of the le IRS, before we went to the break, and what I want to explain to you thematically today, we're talk about, do you really believe government is, is poised to solve problems? It was never designed to do that. It was never by design. The founding fathers and subsequent iterations of people fixing and growing and making the country better, dealing with our problems. It's never by design to solve a problem. It's to defend the country, def defending the nation, making the you know protecting trade, allowing us to be a great capitalist nation that, that we can pursue our interests, pursue what makes us happy. Uh, to be successful, to do anything, to be anybody and anything in this nation, you can. But it was never designed to solve problems. And it's done a very poor job of doing that. I mean, if you were to, and we'll go through that. 
Because it is rather ridiculous when, you know, I look at Governor Governor Cooper. Oh, we're highlighting investments in clean water infrastructure. Well, great. Those aren't investments necessarily. Those are expenditures, and they're they're supposed to function. It doesn't solve anything because it's always going to break. It's always going to have problems. It's not solved. But but take it beyond that. Did, Did it really solve? Did the welfare state solve poverty? In other words, did poverty go away? Did Social Security so it was never meant to that we, we've interpreted in our minds in the popular culture that Social Security is somehow supposed to be retirement for people. It never was designed to be. It wasn't meant to be. But it's been convoluted and twisted and, and put on your table and said, oh, this is prime rib when you're being served a leather biscuit. It's, it's not. It was never meant to be. It was never indexed to age. It, should, you know, it, it was designed so that you know you... You finish up at a certain age about the time you're ready to die and if you just happen to live a little longer. But but we never. And then as our lifespans got longer, Social Security didn't change. And, and so now all of these programs, and we're going to talk more in depth about this, all these programs have become, you know, holier than a grail. You know, you can't touch those Democrats. We'll never discuss them except to accuse Republicans of gutting and cutting them. And Republicans won't touch them for fear that that they'll be, you know, I don't know. They'll turn into Jekyll Hyde and be made fun of and ridiculed and thrown out of office because the public has decided it likes to be given stuff. And the public has decided that it's not. It is some kind of magic and that it can't be touched for fear that the republic will fall. And we'll talk about that because mathematically, mathematically, simple math. We don't like simple math anymore. I guess it's racist. Who knows? But. Simple math will tell you you cannot fix the federal budget without touching entitlements. You just can't. They're an obscene amount. You know, I was just doing back of the envelope calculations here. Sixty-four percent of the federal budget are entitlements. That, that well, that's a conservative estimate. Sixty. Imagine trying to fix your spending problem at home, and sixty-four percent of it is off. You can't. Ta- you can't touch that. You can't touch sixty-four percent and growing. By the way, do you think it was always sixty-four percent of the federal budget? No. So it's grown, and it hasn't solved the problem. Things have gotten worse, not better for a lot of those situations, and we'll talk about that. But right now, I want to, as I was going to the break, I mentioned something very bizarre to talk about the, the complexity of our tax code, the IRS in general. It doesn't need 87,000 new agents. The ones that it has doesn't, don't understand the, the code as written. They can't give you answers. I mean, we've got, we've got an entire cottage industry not even cottage, Main Street industry now of, of doing taxes for you because you as an American, it's so complicated, you can't do your own taxes. So you must get other people, many of whom have different answers for the same question, depending on what time of day and I guess where the solstice is, that, that these answers are so complicated, you can't make sense of them. And to give you an example, a vivid example of that, and I, I talked about my mother, Pat. My mother passed away about a year ago, almost to the day. Today's the 16th, so she died on February 19th. And in going through the process of settling her death and passing and my father's the year prior and dealing with all of those, you end up writing a lot of letters. You're dealing with a lot of bureaucracy. They say death and taxes are the only sure things you can count on. But no, what you can count on is death, taxes, and bureaucracy. Those are the three things. That needs to be added. It's an addendum. It's an asterisk. I guess you put it on there. Yeah, if you're in the gold, bronze, and silver medals, you got you got to include bureaucracy because that's, that's absolutely in today's world inevitable. And if you were to think in the course of your life, the number of times you've stood in line, almost anywhere, including in the private sector, just think about when you get to the end of your life and you think about the, you know, half a year you stood in line at various aspects from Disney World to the DMV, 
the times you just stood in line, the days you wasted standing in line, waiting for something to happen, or moving six feet, and thinking, hey, I moved six feet. I'm done. I'm good. I'm better. But let's go to the, let's go to the uh, IRS, because that's where I want to get. My mother passed, and I'm dealing with them, and, and I'm trying to get answers from them, and I'm trying to settle stuff with them. And they send a letter. So I represent my mother. I'm the one. It's in the will. It's everything. Everything's on the up and up. And I, I'm sharing something. I shouldn't probably. But I, I send them a letter trying to deal with the way that they've uh, adjudicated some stuff. And they send. They don't send a letter to me. They send a letter to my deceased mother. Get this. They acknowledge. In fact, it says to the deceased. It sends a letter to her who has passed. And it said, dear taxpayer, why we are contacting you? To her. She's been deceased. In fact, at the point of this letter, she had been deceased for eight months. Yeah, six months, seven months, seven months. She'd been deceased over seven months, heading into eight months. And it says, this is in response to the inquiry dated from May from my name, Chad Adams. We have no record that you authorized him to act for you in this matter. Please notify him that we have replied directly to you. Now, bear in mind, they're sending this to a deceased individual. She'd been cremated. It's a box of remains. That's who they sent the letter to, asking her to clarify who she appointed on the earthly plane so the IRS can communicate with the dead. Did you know? It's so funny. We are sorry to learn of the death, your death, on February 19th. We need documentation of your death, which they'd already been given. But this is just funny because they're asking her to fill out a form. She's dead. They're asking her to fill out a form. (laughs) I tell people they don't believe me. I'm like, the IRS is sending letters to the dead. To the dead. So that's where our government is right now. And we'll talk about more fun and frivolity with the uh, federal, state, and local governments. Appreciate you joining us here today. Chad Adams sitting in for Pete Callender here on WBT. You can give us a call, 704-570-1110, News Talk 1110, 99.3. Do want to uh, mention a little something-something for you folks. A morning in Paris is always a good idea. WBT invites you to join the Isabella Santos Foundation for a morning of Parisian fashion. Flowers, food, and family to benefit pediatric cancer. March 7th at Carmel Country Club. Proceeds from the breakfast event will impact a global pediatric cancer program at Levin Children's. Bringing new treatments and hope to kids fighting rare cancers. Purchase your tickets today at IsabellaSantosFoundation.org. That's IsabellaSantosFoundation.org. Now, as we have been discussing today, it is this myopic view that government is somehow put there to solve problems. Government is there to provide some services, maybe, and I don't even think that's clearly delineated. It's supposed to defend and protect trade. I mean, that's the big thing. And the founding fathers were like, hey, we don't want a giant. We're we're terrified of giant governments. They don't work out too well. We're not too keen on, you know, giant global religious uh governance either. Those are the two things they most feared were this tyrannical governance and tyrannical big churches. They, they didn't want you to be controlled by those two kind of entities. They wanted you to feel free to come to your own conclusions about things. They didn't want an omnipresent government. They didn't want an, uh, this government that was in that had its tendrils in every aspect of your life. And yet somehow in the 20th century, we migrated 
generously in that direction to the point that 65% of our budget. And, and by the way, your counties are doing a lot of this. Your cities are doing a lot of this. And your state is doing a lot of this. The encroachment on, if you try to build a house, you learn real quick, especially if you're at the coast. Where the water goeth is a big deal. So the, the, the point I'm making is, and we will get into all of this. I, and I'll give you some examples. I'll, I'll, in fact, I'll give you a fun one. The, the aspiring governor for our state. Well, I should have asked a trivia question. And now I can't ask it. I was going to ask you, you know, which, in fact, I, I still can. Which department of the, uh, of the state government? Is it, is it the uh, superintendent of public instruction? Is it the treasurer's office? Is it the Department of Insurance? Is it agriculture? Or is it the attorney general's office that should be giving away environmental money? And in, in other words, ways to address things in the environment. Who should be giving which department of the state government should be giving away that kind of stuff? And you'd have to ask yourself, wait a minute, why? why? But, but the truth is, the truth is, it's the attorney general's office. The attorney general's office, Josh Stein's office, is giving away federal grant. I mean, excuse me, is funding, is funding environmental stuff. It, 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 I saw that earlier today, and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. How the heck is the attorney general's office, why is the attorney general's office doing that? I, I couldn't understand that. I didn't understand it at all. Why would the attorney general's office be doing that? So I, I was reading and I was thinking, you know, it goes along with, with all the stuff I've been thinking, which is why is the federal government and the state government believing that it can fix all these problems? In fact, in fact, if you want to see the tweet, you can see North Carolina attorney general. It's great to see groups get to work with their grant money from AG Josh Stein's environmental enhancement grants to better their community environment. We are excited for Greenville NC Rec to get started on stabilizing Green Mile Run. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Your state's attorney, your state attorney general, he's the top cop in the state. He's the guy that defends the state. He prosecutes bad guys. He busts criminal operations. That's his job, right? To be the big tough guy. Why, why do we expect the attorney general's office to be giving away environmental enhancement grants? Where is that in the purview of the Attorney General's office? Now, we all know why he's doing these kind of things, but it doesn't make it right, and it doesn't make it something that the Attorney's General, the Attorney General office should do. Environmental enhancement grants? What does that have to do with defending the state? Greenways. You know what? That, that's an environmental, that's a smart growth, environmentalist thing, but it's not the Attorney General's job. But there he is bragging about giving away environmental money. And you have to wonder, how does the legislature, who are the people that are supposed to pay the bills for the state, by the way, what do they have to say about this? Do they want the aspiring governor, I mean, the attorney general? Do they want the Democrat aspiring governor to be giving away environmental grants? I would think they would have questions about that. I would if I were a legislator. I'd say, why is the attorney general giving away money? And if it was money that was somehow collected by the attorney general, for some kind of great detail, then why wouldn't that money go over to the Department of Environment and Natural Resources, or DENER, or DEQ now, Department of, uh, DEQ, De Department of Environmental Quality? That sounds like a place that should do that, doesn't it? Actually, you wonder why government should be in that business, but that's what happens. It spreads money around. That's what you do. You buy constituencies. You buy favors. You buy votes. 
It's a horrendously bad system. That's not what a republic is. So I give a certain constituent money so they vote for me. It's what the teachers unions, that's what's wrong with our education today, is the teachers unions are completely prolifically left-wing. The teachers are pretty good. The administrative people, not so much. They're ideologically driven to the point of absurdity. We have kind of the lowest rate of reading. I, I couldn't believe I was reading the other day about Maryland. There's like several dozen schools in which not one kid is proficient in math. It's, it's horrendous here in North Carolina as well. But you know what? I'll guarantee you they can tell you what happens at a drag show in third or fourth grade. That's important. Drag shows, important. Math, meh, ah. And you know what? It's so bad that now colleges are getting rid of SATs and GREs. They're getting rid of acceptance exams because, I don't know, they can be racist. So you wonder, you know, in, in the next couple years, when that person's operating on you, when that time comes for some emergency in your life, or you're wondering who's flying your aircraft, or you're wondering who's taking care of things, do you really want to know that they didn't take an SAT, that they may not have had the qualifications, that the qualifications were based on their gender or gender identity or skin color or sexual proclivity, whatever it is. I mean, we're moving in an absurd direction, aren't we? We thought it was bad when it was just, <laughs> you know, a few acronyms. And now it's, you know, it's an alphabet. It's an alphabet soup of special interests that want to be recognized because of their differences, not because of what unites us, but because of our differences. Our differences are more important than it, it's better to be apart than together. You saw that with the Black National Anthem the other night, the football game, right? I couldn't believe that. I'm thinking, hey, we, we fought for 60 years to get rid of separate water fountains. Got rid of the separate water fountains. Thought it was ridiculous. Got rid of the color of the skin acknowledgement. Moving away from that. Trying to move, move away from race-based hiring because that's bad. It's horrible. And then we get into having two national anthems. In what way does that bring us together? Then you think about the weirdness of the fact that Elon Musk is more of an African-American than the vice president is. She's Jamaican-Indian. Not African-American. We live in a strange, bizarre world, don't we? We live in a strange and bizarre world. So when we get back, we're going to take a break here in a minute. We've got a lot, like I said, I, I just, just scratching the surface. We'll get into this sense of entitlement stuff. We'll get into it because we're, we'll be talking about the budget. Uh, not as much, well, some of North Carolina's, but certainly the national budget. We've got to because it's getting ready. The, the, the Democrats are holding back. Schumer's like, well, we want to see the Republicans' budget. Well, he wants to see it because he just wants to shoot holes in it and tell everybody that the Republicans are trying to cut and gut things that are important, the sacred cows of politics. But we've also got to talk about the headwinds. Remember, the president's been bragging, inflation's under control, gas prices are down. It's a mess. It's still a mess. And the inflation numbers today, also a mess. It's not working well. It's another Biden win. I mean, I, I say that facetiously all the time. Wow. Not to mention, you know, we haven't even talked about UAPs. And we have to, I guess, the politically correct thing is, you know, unidentified aerial phenomenon. It sounds very fancy. It sounds very upscale, doesn't it? Rather than UFOs, them unidentified flying objects flying everywhere. They're making nine degree turns, aircraft chasing them. But unidentified aerial phenomenon is very different, very high scale, very upbeat. So we still have a president. I, I haven't seen a news conference. I'm assuming. Gosh, I probably shouldn't do that, should I? 
But I'm assuming that at some point the president will address the fact that we spent a lot of money shooting down things. If they were Chinese, I love the fact that the vice president says, you know what, spending millions of dollars shooting things out of the sky, that's not going to affect U.S.-Chinese relations whatsoever. Not one bit. Not going to matter. Chad Adams sitting in here to Pete Callender's microphone. And uh, by the way, a great team at WBT, uh, having worked uh, peripherally and with and been a part of many stations in the state, this team, absolutely outstanding. One of the best you could find anywhere, much less, I mean, top of the food chain in North Carolina for sure. Appreciate them, their staff, making it sound decent. Making me, look, my voice is actually two octaves higher. Did you know that? But see, running through the soundboards there at WBT smooths it right out. Kidding, of course, but they could if they needed to. I'm sure they could. Now, the grant, I mentioned that uh, Josh Stein, Attorney General, is using to buy some votes in good favor. It, it, th- this is how absurd it is. It's a 25-year agreement that the Attorney General's office reached with Smithfield Foods back in the year 2000 related to hog waste lagoons. Now, the silly part of this is in that settlement, the appropriate thing to do was turn the money over to Department of Environmental Quality. You go that direction. The Attorney General's office has no business addressing what an environmental need for the state is. It really doesn't. It's dealing with, is it legal? Is it not? That's it. But it has uh, it uses that to buy favor. And it, it's just walking around money that they get to go use. And that's not what you want your politicians to have. You don't want your politicians walking around with the ability to hand out money to people. It, it, it's, a, you know, it's very, you know, Sheriff of Nottingham kind of style stuff. It's unbelievable, but that scene, but somehow that is seen as altruistic. If I take money from you, think about this for a minute. If I take money from you, if I go down the street and I just pull you over and say, hey, give me $100, and hey, by the way, all your friends, y'all give me $100 too, and I walk away with five or $600, and I go down the street and give it to somebody then and, and portray myself as the good guy in this story, I'm really not. I, the, the assumption is that the money that you had, you weren't going to spend appropriately. But when I have it, because I'm with the government, somehow I'm going to spend it better. And by the way, I keep part of it before I give all of it away. There's no altruism. Government isn't designed to be altruistic. It portrays itself that way. You notice that Biden's speech, the, the, the State of the Union, portrays itself that way. Governor Cooper, Democrats love to portray government. And we're, we're mind-numbed robots enough to, to fall for it. How many people do you know that fall for that and think, oh, I'm so glad the government's doing all this? Not to you, before you. They've convinced themselves that government is doing stuff for you, not to you. Now, I'm not saying government's evil. I think government's largely agnostic. I think government should be. I think government should not care. You know, about it doesn't. It doesn't care if you're poor or rich. Governments don't care. Look at the IRS. Do you think they care? They don't even care if you're dead. As I read that letter earlier, they don't care. They communicate with the dead. The point being, government's designed for protection. I mean, we've bastardized that, haven't we? We've made law enforcement precipitously more expensive by going after all of, you know, defund the police movement. All the defund the police movement did was make it more expensive to hire cops. Fewer people will want to be cops. It's going to cost cities more to recruit cops. It's going to cost a lot more. A lot more. You thought it was expensive before. When Democrats never let a crisis go to waste, it's always going to cost you more. Think about anything they get involved in. It never makes it cheaper, does it? It doesn't make products cheaper. It's not innovative. It doesn't create new ideas. It doesn't create anything. It just redistributes money. And so when we get into the second hour, we'll talk more about that. I've kind of talked about it. I've talked about talking about it, haven't I? 
but we've got to balance the budget. We've got to do something, and we can't we can't be Pollyannish about it. We've got to be adults. We can't afford to be, you know, this this new generation that hey, you owe me something. We can't afford that anymore, and they can't afford to pay the bills. They don't realize they're the ones that are going to have to pay for all this. The billions of dollars. Excuse me, I would love to be able to say billions. It's trillions of dollars. It's not billions, it's trillions. Because they're the ones that are going to be saddled with this as they sit there and whine and complain. And think about this, this generation, these kids, and I'm not putting them down. There's some great, there's some marvelous intellect out there, some hardworking kids out there. But many of them, unfortunately, have been raised in a world where there isn't war, there isn't famine, there isn't pestilence, and they have the audacity to go lecture the rest of us about the quality of life in the world. And their quality of life is higher than any generation that ever came before them. It really is. They complain about the jobs. Look at all the hard work that's out there that's available that they're just too good to go apply for. And then complain about not having money. When places like Taco Bell are, are giving signing bonuses, all the fast food places giving signing bonuses. And then the president's trying to tell you they're making you sign a non-compete clause. He's out of his ever-loving mind. It's just crazy. So, having said that, uh, before we get to the top of the hour, I do want to mention that I was just doing some back-of-the-envelope calculations about the federal government and Medicaid, Medicaid welfare, all of that stuff. When you look at these, you add these up, you get to 64% of the federal budget. You can't, I, I don't care who you are, I don't care what kind of Houdini, what kind of rabbit, and the Democrats know this. Don't think the Democrats don't know it. They know that Fetterman is a very sick guy. They know that he shouldn't be in the Senate, but they can't help. The quest for power is more important than Fetterman. The, the quest for power is more important than 100,000 people dying of fentanyl deaths from coming across the border. It's more important. Power is more important than solving these things. And government isn't designed to solve problems. It is designed to protect the country. It should be protecting the country at the border. It's not the sole responsibility of border states to deal with this massive influx, whether it be Florida, Texas, Arizona, New Mexico. It's not their job. It's the entire nation's job to stop it or absor absorb the consequences. So it's not a political stunt to send people from Florida or Texas to other states. It's not a political stunt. It's surviving. But Medicare, when you look at Medicare, and it's 25, all of the expenditures related to Medicare, health insurance-related stuff, federal government, 25% of the budget, Social Security, 21% of the federal budget. Economic hardship, which are many welfare programs, SNAP, all that stuff, 11% of the federal budget. Interest on the debt, 7% of the budget. It, you, you start adding those things up, you get to 64%. And we'll talk about that more on the other side of the break. But, but, but ask yourself this as we go to the top of the break. Did any of those things that I mentioned... Did the federal government solve any of those issues? Did it solve the insurance problem? Did it solve the health care thing? Did it solve Social Security? Did it, has, it, has it met up to its obligation? Or has it just cost us more money? <laughs> Your answers when we come back. Much more here on the Pete Callender Show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 